And he said that for every 1,900 blogs that exist, there's only one podcast. So if we look at that correlation, it's like, wow, there's so much more room for growth. As much as we probably think, oh, everybody has a podcast, you know, it's too late to get a podcast because you should have done it years ago. And the reality is it's not too late. It's a great time to get into podcasting. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. Welcome back to Social Convos. I'm your host, Diego, together with Sean Luke. And Sean Luke, how are we doing this week? It's been pretty hectic for me, but I'm looking forward to disconnecting tomorrow. <laughs> You're disconnecting tomorrow. I have a conference to prepare for. So yeah, it's been hectic. I mean, all the drops that we discussed, all the... And, and thank you, by the way, for, for those of you who don't know, I got a relentless key. I didn't get it for free, but Diego helped me get my uh, impact theory relentless uh, key in. So I'm really grateful for that. And also have some gotten some other NFTs from people over the past year. So uh, thank you for everybody who's contributing to me to feel like I have something in my OpenSea code. So I'm really excited. And I'm also really excited for uh, today's guest as well. So I think it's really awesome and I'm really happy with uh, the flexibility of today's guest because we don't know each other for that long. And this is all, it's actually going to be the first time that we're going to speak more about her expertise. And the funny thing is that we connected on Twitter and that's why I love Twitter as well. It's this amazing space where in, in compared to Facebook on Facebook, it's really family and friends you connect with and Twitter is really a space where you look for common interests and connect with people with common interest. And at a certain point, I was like, I'm going to finish the national blog posting month next month because next month, November is national blog posting month. And I tweeted out, yes, I'm committed to finishing because on Hive, I've had streaks of 26, 27, 28 days, and I never finished the full month. And I really want to have a month that I post at least once a day. Like it's, it's kind of like, this goal that this goal that kind of always kind of kills me near the end of the month. And then Jennifer tweeted out like, okay, so if you're going to do that, are you up for the national podcasting one as well? I was like, wait, <laughs> wait a minute. And then I became really interested and in I was like, hey, we're doing podcasts. Uh, Diego's doing podcasts. I'm doing podcasts. I think it's time to introduce somebody who has actually had experience with podcasting for I think 15 years, Diego. Can you imagine? What were you doing 15 years ago? I was still in high school. <laughs> okay, Not so without, where to go. <laughs> without further, uh, further ado, we're going to introduce the e-podcaster. She will explain to us what e-podcasting stand for, stands for. Without further ado, Jennifer Navarrete, welcome to our studio. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. And I'm thrilled that Twitter is what got us connected. I, I love that. Yeah I, yeah, I really love Twitter in the way that it niches down and, you know, brings people together from different communities. And I especially see that in, especially the crypto NFT space recently, that people just connect, follow each other, share stuff. But coming back to you, Sean Luke said, you are the e-podcaster and e-podcasting is 
I guess, uh, something I'm not familiar with yet. So could you enlighten us a bit where that E stands for and, you know, how that came about? In 2005, I heard about this thing called podcasting and I was like, hmm, you mean I can record something, put it up on the web and no one can stop me? And I was like, sign me up. I cannot wait to get started. And But I didn't know what I wanted to podcast. And so I was talking to my sister and we were drinking coffee and she said, well, I'll do it with you, but I don't want it to be hard. It's got to be something that's fun. So we were kicking around a bunch of ideas, like, you know, back and forth. And we'd be like, no, we'd have an idea and he'd be like, no. And then finally it occurred to me and I said, hey, what about this? She's like, what do you mean this? I go, this, this thing we're doing right now. She goes like, what are we doing? I said, we're drinking coffee and we're talking. And she's like, okay. And then we came up with the, the title of the Morning Brewcast. And that was in September of 2005. And the e-podcaster comes from the, I was an entrepreneur. I'm still an entrepreneur. And I thought entrepreneurial podcaster, that's really long. And most people don't know how to spell entrepreneurial. Sometimes I even forget how to spell it. So I thought I'll just put the letter E in front of podcaster. And that stands for entrepreneurial podcaster. And now if you search for me, e-podcaster on Instagram, on Clubhouse, on Twitter, that's going to be me. Well, so you basically coined the term back in the early days, but this brings me back. Let, let's go back down to history. So you've been podcasting 15 since 2005, 16 years now. And just to give people a glimpse of how was podcasting back then, it was on the come up, you know, it was, you know, basically rivaling or competing against radio, like the freedom of speech and everything. So would you say, are we still at an early stage in podcasting compared to 2005 when it was on the come up? Or how has this space developed over the past 15, 16 years that you've been a part of it? In those early days, it was very much, we thought we were all going to be famous. We all thought we were going to get rich. It was like so amazing. It was very early days. A lot of venture capital money was getting thrown in there. And then it kind of uh, got flat. It was flat for many, many years. There were still, we were still podcasting, but it just didn't gain traction until many years later. And I'd say probably in the next, last maybe five or six years, all of a sudden the rest of the world kind of caught up. And I'll give you an example of, of what that means. When I used to go to business mixers and I would, you know, be talking about business things, but then, you know, some of the stuff goes personal. Be like, hey, have you heard about podcasting? Most folks hadn't. And the few that had were like, oh yeah, I listened to some shows. I'm like, cool, are you podcasting? And people just thought I was speaking Klingon. You know, I was, I was talking about podcasting at a time when people couldn't, number one, didn't know that it existed, didn't know what it was. Why would they care? How would this apply to business? Same thing with social media. Back in those days, we were talking about social media and how it could work for business. And people are like, oh, that's for kids. You know, that's, there's no way that's for business. And of course, now we fast forward and, you know, it turns out everybody likes to speak Klingon and podcasting and video and social media definitely are for business. It's for everything. And so I've been able to watch that progression and to watch everything come to pass, which really helps me kind of have a good understanding of when I see things coming down the pipe, I'm like, that's going to be something people are talking about a lot in the next three to five years. And I share that because if we think about nowadays, there's not a business conference that you go to, that there isn't a social media element, a podcasting element, a YouTube element, some kind of video element, right? There's, it's going to be that because it applies. There was a time when that wasn't the case. So when we think about what's coming in the future with podcasting 2.0 and web 3.0 and those kinds of things, 
no one's talking about it except those of us early adopter geeks who are in it, kind of like how we are now. And yet in the next three to five years, you probably will go to a knitting conference and the knitters are going to have a session that says blockchain for knitters or <laughs> three speak for knitters or something like that. <laughs> and, and it's going to happen, but it's not going to happen for at least another three to five years. So having been in the space for such a long time, it really gives me an understanding of trends and knowing when to jump in, you know, into that, that leading edge or the bleeding edge before it really gains a momentum and then being there to kind of guide others as it gains, you know, as the wave happens. So, so to quickly jump in, because of course, we're going to talk a little bit about the, the new trends as well. So to, to give us a perception of like 15 years ago, what was podcasting like? So like, how was it regarded? How was the setup? How did you guys start out? Or who, how did you start out? And how did it transition from like something that was fun to do into like an actual business? Right. So back then it was hard to do. We didn't have smartphones. We didn't have, you know, apps. You needed to find some software and you needed to figure it out. So I would listen to Adam Curry's daily source code. He's the podfather, right? The co-inventor of podcasting. And I, he started, he was talking about ID3 tags. And at the time I was like, ID3 tags, like, what does that mean? And I would go and try and Google it. And of course, no one was talking about it. There wasn't anything up there. And so I would go to fellow podcasters. And finally, I understood what ID3 tags were. And ID3 tags are just the data that lives inside of your audio file. And I, what, what I tell people is like, if you're in your car and you see the radio or, or your, the CD that you pop, or not CD, maybe the MP3 that you did or cassette tape or 8-track right now, you put it in there. And then there's the little information about who the artist is, what the song is, all that stuff. That's the ID3 tag. It's the data that lives inside of the audio file because that audio file can live, go out into the wild, and it may be a standalone audio file. And if you don't have the data, the ID3 tags in it, it doesn't actually point to anything. And if you think about back in the day when people were ripping their own CDs, which I'm really dating myself, but we would rip CDs. And how many times did you get a CD like that, that it said track one, track two, track three, track four, track five, because there weren't, there wasn't any ID3 tags associated with that with the audio file. And so it's those kinds of things where that was so like, what is that? And what does it mean? Of course, nowadays it's part and parcel of everything that you do. It's simple. It's, it's, it, you can, when you do your show notes, that stuff can be embedded into your ID3 text when you upload it to your host. It wasn't that easy back then and understanding it wasn't that easy. So I'll say, I am super glad that podcasting now is this really rich experience that you can grab your mobile phone, download an app, hit record, and you can have your feed on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Google Play, and any number of directories all over the world. And just with the simply simple ease of just a phone. And that was not the case back then. And I'll tell you that my very first microphone was a $20 mic that I got from Best Buy that plugged into the computer, to the laptop. And the very first podcast that I was super duper proud of that I was like, oh, this is amazing. It was terrible. <laughs> but at the time, I didn't know any better. I was, I was learning as I was going. And what I tell folks when I teach and when I'm up on stage or when I teach courses or classes or have clients is that, look, no matter how well prepared you are, your first show is never going to be amazing. It's going to be as good as you can get it with the information that you have, with the equipment that you have. But your show 30, it's going to be pretty good. Your show 50, even better. Your show 100, it's going to be amazing. But how do you get to show 30, 50, and 100 until you do show one? and show two, and show three, because you will develop your podcasting voice, your show flow, your style, the more that you do it. So I always encourage folks new to the space to don't give up, just keep going, because the more that you do it, the better that you'll get. Out of curiosity, do you still have that first ever produced episode? <laughs> oh, somewhere? it's on, uh, yeah, it's on uh, in the internet archive. 
And and I think it has. <laughs> yeah, that's I a think, good one. I yeah. think it even has the the metronome was on. So I, it was terrible. I but I but it's still my baby, and that's what got me started. So even though it sounds terrible compared to the skills and knowledge and equipment that I have now, I'm still proud of it. I mean, it's 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 what launched my that doing that show is what led me to where I am now, doing podcasting and production for a living. So you know, you can't you can't downplay the those small beginnings and those little first steps because those are the steps that lead to giant steps. Yeah, definitely. Or or at least my first episode. It's still out there somewhere. It's unlisted, but it's still out there somewhere. So people curious to find it will be able to find it. But I just keep it there as, you know, a starting point to reflect back. Yeah, we started somewhere. But this brings me back to the types of podcasting content. So as you said, you guys did get all this equipment. You had to figure out how to work out with all the software and Nowadays, we jump like we do now. We jump into StreamYard, we jump into a Zoom call, hit that record button, and tada, you have a show. So how easy, or, or let's start with first off, can you distinguish in the types of podcasts you guys did? You started with your sister, so it was, I guess, the two of you talking about random stuff. But when you had to get, did, how long into the podcasting journey did it take before getting on other people? like? Uh, like we do now, the interview style, that's pretty common now, right? So could you elaborate to us and especially to the listeners, what types of podcasts there are and what you should look for in doing that to give us a, a feel? Right. Well, so the show that we did, The Morning Brewcast, was about coffee. And so we're really lucky because people were contacting us to, you know, go to their specialty roasting company and sit down and do a cupping. Or we had the Bantai, the, the owner of the Bantai Civic Cat Coffee, who that coffee is like $300 a pound, who sat down with us and, and had made some coffee for us so that we could interview him for the show and talk about it and taste it. By the way, that coffee is amazing. And, and so we had a lot of those opportunities early on but it wasn't really as developed now. Like back then, you would record a show once a week until forever, or you did it kind of randomly, which is how we did it. Nowadays, the really nice thing about podcasting today is that there are seasons and series. And I absolutely love this concepting of having a set amount of time that you're going to have a show and then taking a break, kind of like how television does, right? They have their season or and then they take their break, right? And then they come back. And I, I really like that a lot. So what I would recommend to folks getting started is don't feel like you've got to do it all. It's You feel like, oh my God, I have to do it all. It has to be perfect because you're listening to NPR and you're listening to Joe Rogan and you're listening to all these folks that have like teams of people that are making that show. And if it's a team of one and you're a solo podcaster, cut yourself some slack and, and, and kind of ease into it. I, I talk about soft launches and hard launches. And I recommend if you're new to the space to consider doing a soft launch. You know, a hard launch is where you're like, you know, you know, boom, I'm here, baby, listen to this podcast. It's amazing. But a soft launch is maybe where you don't tell everybody and their brother, you tell, you know, your family, you tell your brother and you tell some close people and, and you slowly build it over time because your audience will find you the more that you put out there. And you'll, again, develop your podcasting skill set and you'll develop your show flow and an understanding of your voice, which comes over time. Because back then we were recording everything and I was editing everything. And those 3 a.m. editing sessions were no fun. That gets old really, really quick. So one of the challenges that I gave myself one year was that I said, I'm going to get comfortable with live. And that terrified me. I was very terrified of going live because I was so used to, if, if I messed up or if we messed up or if I flubbed a word, I could go back in post-production and fix it. 
But post-production was eating my lunch. I, those 3 a.m. editing sessions were not going to go for long. So I thought, I have to grow as a podcaster. I'm going to have to get better. And one of the things I need to do is I need to get comfortable with live. And now, of course, it serves me really well because I do shows like this with you all. And I do my own shows and I'm ready to roll. And, and, and by the way, you're going to flub. You're going to stutter. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to say something. Go, wait, let me, let me say that again. And it's okay. Like, don't feel like you have to be perfect. You do not have to be NPR unless that's your goal. In which case, if that's your goal, more power to you. But the average podcaster, your audience wants to hear what you have to say. They like your spice and your flavor. They want to hear from you and your experience and, and the, your perspective on things. And so you have a mission and a message. And I recommend to get it out there. And I think podcasting is an absolutely fabulous way to do it. Wow, that's such a golden nugget. Thank you for sharing that. So I think it's funny because we had like a completely opposite road. Well, actually, the the ease of of of, of software like like StreamYard is kind of the reason why we said like, okay, social confos, we're just gonna do fifty episodes in a year. That's basically the goal. So we didn't make any other commitments. We were like, okay, we're just gonna do this every week, fifty weeks. Let's see where we end up. And I don't think it would have been possible if we would have to edit all the episodes after because Diego still does it. I mean, Diego cleans up some of the audio, but not really like taking out like certain and us and those kind of things. And and for me, I, I completely feel the, the, the season part and the commitment that we made is we're not going to do seasons. Uh, we just want to have the 50 episodes up. And after that, maybe the 100 episodes up. And after that, the 200 episodes up because we wanted to have that feeling of like we can see like where we are and what what we can handle but we're already seeing that like posting the announcement visual putting taking out snippets from this podcast and putting it on youtube putting it on tiktok putting it on facebook putting it on twitter it's like it's it's like a full production mm -hmm. and for us yeah that would be the next question is like how do you leverage that at what point because if you have a niche podcast like the brewing morning brew like you said it's like you go and you get well for coffee and there's of course a certain interest already because it's a niche towards a certain product that a lot of people want to promote but for starting podcasters at what point do you start reaching out for deals when it comes to sponsorships or ads on your podcast and what what's the trajectory i think or what's the the process going towards monetizing your your podcast so typically when folks ask that question, and I know this is why you're asking it, you're thinking of the traditional model of like a TV station or a radio station, right? Where they have a sponsor who comes in and, and has a spot. And podcasting has followed that model to some extent with some success for some and others. And of course, there's Patreon where your your supporters come and support you. And so you have to remind folks to go there. And, and there's all those kinds of things. The other consideration is that as someone who was doing a podcast and, and, and at the time speaking Klingon to everybody, when you have everyone else started to speak Klingon, all of a sudden they were like, hey, you've been talking about that thing. Can you come do it for us? Can I hire you to train us? Can I hire you to do it for us? Can you come and do these things? I did not intend to do this as a career. I did not know that me thinking that, you know, I could record something, put it up on the web and no one could stop me and starting a show was going to equal to me having a, a full-time career doing this years later, but it does. And so that's another thing for folks to consider. The skills that you're learning doing your own show, the way that you develop your systems and your processes, the way that you do your equipment, your editing, the way that you promote your show, all of those pieces are marketable. 
and you can sell your services and your skills to others who want those. So it may not be that you're making money off of your podcast per se. Maybe you don't want ads on your show. Maybe you don't want to mess with a Patreon, but you want to take the skills that you have that you've learned through your own podcast and to the market. And there's editors that there's people always want editors. I can tell you that right now, because again, if people have a mission and a message, but they don't yeah. want to take the time, they want to, they want to leverage your expertise and have you do it for them. And so there's a lot of those kinds of things that you can do to, to make podcasting something that is uh, financially viable. That's awesome advice. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that because I think that's one of the things that definitely is, is, is also what's happening. From my perspective, the software that we use now is, is software that we also use for clients and we use for paid products. So it, it kind of pays back. And for Diego, of course, has a bigger vision of creating Convos as like a, a podcasting platform with multiple podcasts on it. So I think in the end, there's a kind of an indirect uh, return of investment in it as well. And I think that makes it easier. Also, it, it relieves the pressure of having to find like, okay, but I have to get paid for this and I have to make it a job. And you can focus more on the things that you're really interested in and really like to do. I like having these kind of conversations with people who actually have the experience. I do want to ask you, at what point did you feel like the, the podcasting space, it's still not mainstream. I, I definitely get that. But I think especially in the US, there has been a movement where at, or at a certain point, like people were like, yeah, we're downloading these podcasts and our commute to the work and back. We're listening to podcasts instead of the radio. So when, how did that change come about and what, where did it kind of start to kick off? So Tom Webster works for Edison Research and they have been following podcasting since the very early days. They were one of the first kind of mainstream that typically did things like radio, right? That they looked at podcasting and said, we need to start measuring and tracking this. And so as far as you think about Pew Research and Nielsen and all these others that are doing research now, but Edison Research did it in the early days. And Tom Webster um, has his own podcast, has had several, but he is a real champion for podcasting in the research space. So you can take a look at all of the data that they've done, both both Edison, Pew, and anyone else, and you can start to see where it, it had a pop and then it kind of, it let, I said, remember it kind of leveled out and then it's had this amazing pop now where it's much more mainstream. I think when we look at the growth of it um, in, I think it was March, maybe it was February or March of this year, Rob Walsh from Lipson, and Lipson is a hosting company, put out a report and he said that for every 1,900 blogs that exist, there's only one podcast. So we look at that correlation. It's like, wow, there's so much more room for growth. As much as we probably think, oh, everybody has a podcast. You know, it's too late to get a podcast because you should have done it years ago. And the reality is it's not too late. It's a great time to get into podcasting. And so I would look at that as, does it make sense for you? And if it does, then great, make it happen. I want to touch on that data part of it. So this is something that's been very tricky. And of course, in the beginning, I did my research on data, on podcasting, especially figuring out how big the podcasting here is here in Suriname, pretty, because the majority of podcasts, I think at least 90% are very US-based, English-speaking. Now you have the Latin areas coming up. Indonesia surprised me with kind of uh, with their stats as well. But... Then again, as a podcaster ourselves, and when you look at the data of downloads and all these different platforms like Spotify, iTunes, your website, every platform shows different stats. 
And it's very hard to, it's very fragmented and it's very difficult to come back to that data to pinpoint like, oh, this month I had so many listens or downloads because the podcasting listening apps, something like CastBox or PodcastCast, they download beforehand automatically sometimes. So that does not necessarily equate to a listen. So how in your experience in the last 15 years, ha- 15 years have the, has data analytics in podcasting played a role and can we trust the data now or how, how more reliable is that data now? Yeah, you're right. It's very fractured because the, the data that you get from one company is not going to be the same that you get from another because everybody's pulling their own information. I think the um, there's a lot of um, opportunities for it, but it's too fractured. I don't know if it'll ever actually be that way because then we think about the podcasting 2.0 space, right? They pulled their the feeds from Apple's um, data, which most folks did. <clears throat> but now people are actually uploading directly to the podcast index. So eventually as that shifts, the data from the podcast index probably is going to change from what you see there. Of course, Spotify has their own data that does nothing to do with anybody else. And YouTube is you know, now fast becoming what the, it's the number two search engine. And it's quickly becoming um, one of the top places that people go to listen to listen and watch podcasts, which I have to tell you, that was a big data point that kind of surprised the heck out of me because I thought as a podcaster, sure, you could have a video podcast. I get that. But the fact that I needed to really think about doing strictly audio podcast and sharing them on YouTube because people will go and they'll have it on a tab in the background and they'll listen or they'll have it on their phone and they're using YouTube because it is such a great way to search for information. So I actually shifted a lot of how I do stuff now for myself and for clients to make sure that YouTube is part of the strategy, whereas before it was, I always left it as an option. I was like, if you want to do YouTube, we can do YouTube. Now I tell all my clients, you're doing YouTube. You have to do it because that's where the people are. And, and you think, oh, well, why would I be there? The way I look at it is that all of these directories, you're like, why do I have to submit to Apple? Why do I have to submit to Google? Why do I have to submit to Spotify? Why do I have to submit to you know, Samsung? The phone company just came out with their own podcast directory. Why do I need to submit to all of these places? Well, because people, the audience is in control. They are going to choose where they want to listen. And if you're not there, they don't know you exist. It's easy for us to think, oh, of course, they're going to be with Apple. Apple's the largest. Not anymore. They're, they're losing market share in a big way and quickly. And Google and, and YouTube and Spotify and everybody else is hot on their tail and gaining market share. So let's say you only were on Apple Podcasts and all of these other directories are, and companies are gaining market share. And people maybe who have Android are never going to, even though you don't need a, an Apple or an iPhone or anything in order to listen to Apple Podcasts, most folks have that perception. So someone on Android may never, ever go look at Apple Podcasts in order to download. And if that's the only place you're at, you're limiting yourself and you're limiting your audience reach. So when I think about just the opportunity that's out there, be in all the places because you don't know where your audience is going to discover you and make it easy for them to discover you and make it easy for them to go deeper. You know, put your website on there, put anything out. It's kind of like how we do with social media, right? You've got your website, so that's where your home planet is. And then you have all of the social uh, channels and those are like your satellites that go around planet Earth. Earth says, I'm Earth and here's all my satellites. And a satellite says, we're us and here's the planet Earth. You know, everything should point to everyone else to make it easy for your audience to go deeper. Don't presume that they know where you're at. You think, oh, they found me on a directory. They may have found you on YouTube. 
They may have found it on social media because somebody shared something and somebody else shared something else. And then they're like, who is this person? I'd like to know more about them to make it easy for them to find you and for them to go deeper. Uh, did I answer that question or did it go down a rabbit trail? Yeah, but the, <laughs> the rabbit trail is quite kind of interesting because this kind of brings me quickly to, because to, to look at it from a broader perspective, it's exactly what's happening with social media. So you could have like a, a, a YouTube video that had like, had like 300 views and then somebody cut out part of it and put it on TikTok and it gets like a million views. And like nobody even realizes that there's like a complete episode from it. So I think it's a really interesting thing is like, we don't kind of even good content. Like it surprises me sometimes how much good content, like quality content really gets no exposure and how some really sometimes really crappy content gets millions of views. So it's, it's kind of like understanding, like leveraging leveraging the awareness of, of your awareness of the, the show or something that you produce. And I think in that sense, it's, it's becoming more difficult as well because it's getting more fragmented. So it's kind of harder to reach everybody. And, and it's really getting into this, this tribal culture where you need to have like a tribe or a group of people that's really interested in this space. Like shout out to the people that are actually watching social convos every week because there's a really small group. So we really want to thank you guys for, for joining in as well, because I don't think you really know how much we appreciate it, that there's a very loyal group that's tuning into these, to these episode and is always kind of interested, just like us, sometimes even a little bit techy and going a little bit into details, which is the following question that I want to bring up, because that's now the transition that I want to do is like prepping for your podcast. And I'm going to kind of bring it to the next segment, overrated, underrated. How important is it to prep your podcast, like your show, and how important is to find a format or how much is it okay if it takes more time that you're not able to find a format starting from the beginning? So one thing, a few things to consider, and I think the the challenge of getting started in podcasting is that the techie geeky aspect of it, you know, there are so many options, but th that also can feel overwhelming. Like, well, where do I start? Right back, back when I got started, there was only one way to, you know, it was very limited on how you could get into the space. Now there's so many options that even though it, in essence, it should be easier and it is, it can also be extremely overwhelming. So I kind of like to break it down this way. I think that there's four levels of podcasting. Level one is is mobile, right? You've got a mobile phone. That's your production studio in your pocket. You're ready to roll. Download an app, make it happen. Check, you're a podcaster, right? Level two is like, you're like, I've got a computer. I've got a USB mic. I've downloaded some software. Or if I have a Mac, it came with GarageBand. And if I have a PC or a Mac, you can or Linux, you can download um, Audacity. It's free. And I'm going to learn how to do some minor editing. Or I'm going to use something like StreamYard. Or I'm going to use something like BeLive. Or I'm going to use Zoom. Or I'm going to use... <laughs> You name it, right? There's a bunch of cool online tools where you don't even need to download that kind of software. You can do what you're doing here. And then you're like, cool, I'm doing that. And then there's like level three where you're like, I'm all in. I'm building a production studio in my home or in my studio, or in my office. And you're like, I'm buying the mic. I've got the mixer. I've got the interface. I've got cool lighting. I've got, which I don't have, but I think Diego has, right? Somewhat. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you're like, I'm all in. I'm building a home studio. So that's level three. And then level four is where you have a mission and a message, but you want to do something a little bit more than just a mobile phone and apps. You want that extra oomph, but you're not interested in learning the technology. You're not interested in buying the equipment. You're not interested in 3 a.m. editing sessions. 
And so you're like, I have a mission and a message and I want to get it out there, but I don't want to do it on my phone, nor do I want to go through level two or level three. So you're going to work with a podcast producer. You're either going to go into a studio where you take your script, you sit down, the sound engineer is there. They have all the equipment. They have all the software. They have all the knowledge. You sit down, you put headphones on, you speak into a mic, you say what you have to say, you get up, you walk out within a week or so, you have your episode and they upload it for you and you're good to go. So I feel like most people get started at a level one simply because they just don't have the time to do it themselves if they're entrepreneurs. Now, if you're a techie, geeky person, which I am, then you kind of like to muck around in it. You, I like to know how does this work? If I do it this way, what does this happen? Ooh, I downloaded a new filter for my soft, for my audio editing program. Let me play with all the different filters and see what it sounds like. Can I fix this challenge? What can I do? I like doing that stuff. So I like mucking around in all the different places. I use all four levels all the time. And I know when to use them because I have experience. But when I work with clients, I'm the I'm their virtual podcast producer and I do all the heavy lifting. I produce them. I do the post-production. I get it up. You know, I submit it to all the directors. I get it out the door. I like doing that stuff. But you may not. You may have a mission and a message. You may be, Jennifer, I don't want to do those things. Cool. Level one or level four is probably where you want to get started. Make it easy on yourself. It's not as expensive as you may think to work with a level four. Um, and level one, of course, is your mobile phone. And people say, well, but then I want to have good quality. And I can tell you that a lot of what makes the improvement in your sound is your space. So right now I'm in a cabin out in the woods by, by a lake, right? So I'm not in my normal studio where I have it sound treated and I have my, my mic and I've got my lighting and I've got all my stuff. I'm winging it out here. <laughs> but even winging it out here in the cabin in the woods, I had brought a little light with me. So I have a little light here. I did bring these with me. So I'm like, okay, I've got a boom arm. And then, of course, I needed something in the backdrop. So this is actually the little throw that was on the couch where I'm sitting. And I tacked it up to the wall to kind of help buffer the sound. And then I have pillows. I have these pillows off to the side. Why? Because it's going to help buffer some of the sound waves from bouncing all from the tile floor to the high ceiling to the rest of this room because I'm trying to improve the quality. While since this is a video, it's also visual. But you're thinking, well, I'm not going to do video, Jennifer. I'm going to do audio. I mean, I'm going to stick with a traditional audio podcast. Cool. However, have you ever thought about using your walk-in closet? Your walk-in closet is your natural sound booth that is in your home that won't cost you a dime. And if you just sit a chair in there and a little table, take your mic or take your phone and record in there, you're going to be amazed at how rich and warm you sound just because you're controlling your environment. And you may tell me, which I, I get people from Europe and other places who are like, Jennifer, the walk-in closets are an American thing. We don't have that here. Great. Stand in front of your closet. Open the doors. Those clothes are still a good buffer. You know, get a comforter, throw it over your head. There's all kinds of things that you can do that are little tricks and trade that can improve your sound no matter what equipment you have. Because even if you have the very best equipment, if you're in a terrible environment, it's not going to sound as good as it can. By the same token, you may not have great equipment, but if you improve the room treatments, it can sound a little bit better than it would without it. Yeah, I can attest to that with the sound quality environment matters because I also do another show with another friend, another co-host. And what we basically did, it's basically the same echoey space, but we just took two pillows, put the mic in between and built like a fort because we don't do it live. So we could just build that up. And from the first episode that we did, to when we started doing that, there was a significant improvement in the sound. Just from that, do it yourself, uh, what you can find at home solution. So yeah, clothes, um, covers, pillows, anything that works. 
And yeah, just to buffer that sound, because the sound waves are bouncing off the hard surfaces. They're, it's bouncing off the tile floor, the ceiling, everything. And it's just making all this thin echo sound. And so what we can do to kind of buffer that anyway is going to make an improvement. So I would just encourage folks to test things out. I get a lot of pushback. I'll tell you, I work with clients who are at large, large corporations and entrepreneurs, and I tell them, um, okay, get your phone and where's, what's the room that you're going to be recording in? And they'll, they'll be like, oh, I'm going to do this in the kitchen or the dining table or my living room. And I'm like, okay, well, I want you to get your phone out and I want you to record. Hi, my name is Jennifer or whatever your name, insert your name here, right? My name is Jennifer and I'm a podcaster in the room where you think you're going to do it. Now I want you to go into your bedroom or to your walk-in closet and I want you to record that exact same sentence. And then I want you to play it back and listen to it. And I have never had a single person ever tell me that they're big that their living room or their dining table with big huge bouncy hard surfaces was better than a bedroom which typically has carpet has a bed has curtains you know has things in it that buffers the sound or their walk-in closet which is ideal was worse they're like oh no i hear what you're saying now i understand so do this for yourself do your own test and then learn back and what i like to do is i'll be like okay this is jennifer i'm testing this setup i've got two pillows here I put this throw back here to kind of bounce it here and I'm sitting this far from the mic and this is what it sounds like. And then I'll make some changes and go, okay, this is what it sounds like. I do this to this day because I, of the different environments that I, I'm in. And then I'll listen back and I'll go, hmm, let me try this. Let me try this. You'll find what's going to work for you best and then use that and do that. And again, if you've got pillows and a sofa throw, <laughs> you can do it. Awesome. Before we go into the overrated, underrated, I want to emphasize one thing. Uh, that you mentioned in your four levels. And I really loved how you broke down into those levels. Level one to level three is basically the do-it-yourself and then level four. And I want to tie this in to what you mentioned before into Jean-Luc's question on monetizing. So basically, as a solo podcaster or, or someone who does this yourself, you're ideally, ideally looking for level four podcasters to potentially monetize instead of sponsors or big companies or advertisers. Am I interpreting that correct? Right. For me, that works. Again, you may be like, I don't want to do anybody else's show or I don't want to produce them because that's a big responsibility, you know, because you've got, they're coming to you for guidance. They're coming to me for my expertise. I've got many years of expertise. I've done podcasting at all levels. I've worked, you know, in big with big fortune 100 companies all the way down to mom and pop, right? So I've got a broad range of experience. And so folks want me to come in and bring that experience to them and to guide them and to lead them from, I have an idea to here's my show and now I'm on season four, you know, that kind of a thing. And so it's really a nice kind of place to be, to be that guide. Think of, think of yourself as the Obi-Wan to their Luke, right? They are the hero and you are the guide. And I'm here to guide them and to train them and to educate them as they get going. Another thing that for folks to consider is that let's say you have a great idea for a podcast, but you're and you want it to get sponsored, but you don't want to wait until you have like, I don't know, 100,000 listeners or anything like that. You want to get sponsored right out of the gate. I was at Podcast Movement maybe two or three years ago, and I sat in a panel where Jean Chikoski, I think her name is, she's the podcaster for Her Money. If you look up Her Money, she's from the radio state, radio space, and she was given some copy to be to do a host read on the on this on the radio station, and it was for a financial advisor. And she's like, mm, you know, I don't know a lot. I don't know this financial advisor and I don't know a lot about money. And it makes me feel uncomfortable to do a host read because typically that's like an endorsement, right? People trust the host, the radio show host. She said, how about, let me counter offer. 
how about instead of them having me do a host read on my show, how about if they sponsor a podcast that and join me as a co-host to talk about money for women? Because she goes, I'm a woman of a certain age and I really don't know that much about money, but I'd like to learn. She said, and I get the feeling there's other women my age who would like to learn as well. So she counter offered the advertiser. The advertiser recognized what a great opportunity this was and became the co-host to her and sponsored the podcast. Now, granted, she's someone who's known, but who says that you can't do that with someone in your local area? Maybe there's a small business that, that probably ties really well into it. And I'll tell you that if I were doing morning brewcast today, if I were starting morning brewcast from scratch, I would approach the roasters and the coffee shops that are in my area and I would ask them if they wanted to not only uh, sponsor the podcast, but to be a co-host on the show. That would be how I would approach the morning brewcast if, it were, if I were starting it over. With that being said, Shanluke, I think this is a good time to go into overrated, underrated. So how do you want to do it this week? Okay, sure. Let's, I think there's time for three overrated, underrated. So Diego is going to do three overrated, underrated. I'm going to do three overrated, underrated. We got to switch it up. Do you want to go first or should I go first? I'll take it this week since you took last week. So okay, I'll go good. first. We mentioned this in the beginning. Gary Vaynerchuk, overrated or underrated? Mm, I like Gary V. I think people think he's overrated because they see a lot of him. But the reality is that we need people like Gary V in the world to lead the charge and to keep saying the same thing over and over and over again. If you listen to him now, He's saying the same stuff that he was saying way back in the early days. You know, he has a bigger platform. He's got more experience and he can give you more, more depth and more, more nuances to it. But the core of his message hasn't changed. And yet we think, oh, everybody knows Gary. He's overrated. But the reality is there's going to be somebody who's hearing about him for the first time. And he needs to keep repeating what he's saying so that people can get it. Or they may, you may have heard him 10 times, but it didn't seem it into you at that time. And all of a sudden, the 11th time that you hear it, you're like, oh, oh my gosh, I totally get what that means because it wasn't your turn. I, I kind of think about things that we read or we see, we've seen them before, but all of a sudden they speak to us in a different way, you know, kind of like we weren't ready for it or it wasn't the right time or we didn't have the right knowledge or we didn't have whatever. But all of a sudden, the thing that we've heard and seen before speak to us, speaks to us in a completely different way, has a different impact. So I think a lot of people would say that Gary Vee is overrated. I've watched him and, and seen him go through this. And I think he is someone who should exist and keep doing what he's doing always. Okay. Since Diego went for the personal brand question, I'm also going to do personal brand because you are the e-podcaster. So I do have to know Pat Flynn, overrated or underrated? Pat Flynn, I think he's a nice guy. I didn't, I don't really follow him that well. I mean, not to say I haven't watched his videos or I haven't seen him speak at conferences or I haven't interacted with him occasionally on Twitter, but I don't follow him in the same way I might follow someone like a Gary Vee and not for any other reason than I, you know, there's only so much time in the day <laughs> that we can de dedicate to who we're going to follow. I think he's got a good message. I know these, the smart uh, podcast, the player, I, I've used that before. I think it's really good. I think we should have Pat Flynn's again in the world as well. I don't, I don't, I'm not exposed to him enough to know if he's overrated or not, but the little bit that I've been exposed to him, I like him. I think he's a good guy. All right, then let's switch to platforms now. Twitter spaces, overrated or underrated? Ah, underrated. Nobody knows it exists. So, so few people know it's there. And the people that know it's there, it's not enough. I feel like, you know, I've been in, I think I'm on Twitter space maybe since 
late February or early March. And of course, on Clubhouse before that, um, the social audio space, as much as we think, oh, everybody knows what that is. No, they don't. They don't know what it is and they don't know where to find it. They don't know why they should use it. They don't know, does it have a business use? You know, they don't get it. And this reminds me of podcasting. People didn't think it had a business use or that it had a, a, a space. And people are paying more attention, but the average company, the average entrepreneur, the average business person, they're starting to pay attention to this, but it's still early in the game. And if you wanted to look at, at a way to make money in this space, get really good at it and become a host of that and become someone that people bring in to do it for them. I heard about a company, an actual company, an agency who has now added Twitter spaces to their rate card, that they will run a Twitter space for their, you know, whatever companies that works for them and do the giveaways and the Q&As and moderate and do all those things. There's a nuance to this kind of stuff. If you're really good at Clubhouse, you're really good at Twitter spaces and eventually Facebook, when that gets rolled out to the general public, that's a service that you can provide that people will want to do because they want to get in there. But again, they don't want to take the time to learn. They don't want to run the room. They don't want to learn the nuances. They just want to get in and share their mission and their message. And if you can facilitate them being able to share their mission and their message, then there is an opportunity for you to do that as part of your business. Even though it's also partially answered, I do want to ask overrated, underrated Clubhouse. I feel, I feel kind of bad for Clubhouse because they're the ones who invented are not invented, but they popularized social audio in such a way that deep pockets like Twitter and Facebook and everybody else and their brother was chasing after them. I think uh, Clubhouse's big mistake was not releasing an Android app soon enough. I mean, if we look at it, Twitter released an Android app before Clubhouse did. And I can tell you that I um, am connected with a lot of Android users who are, they've got feelings about the fact that Clubhouse at least an Android app for so long because they were missing out on the opportunity when everyone else was able to participate in the discussion. So I feel like, I hope that they survive because they really are the most well-fleshed out social audio app. Twitter Spaces is nowhere near as fully fleshed out as Clubhouse is. I mean, Clubhouse has it down. I mean, of course, granted, that's all Clubhouse does is social audio. So they're hyper-focused and they're really good at it. But I feel like you have to go to Clubhouse. It's not part of your normal thing. Whereas with Twitter spaces, you're already going to Twitter just to do the normal social. And, it, and when Facebook releases it to the general public, people are already going to Facebook less and less, but they're still going there. And so adding another feature to something where you're already going is easier than people having to actually do something completely different that's not inside of the norm. So while I hope that Clubhouse sticks around simply because they were the ones that drove this entire entirely new feature-rich opportunity. And it's great for us podcasters, social audio is, because the skills that you know as a podcaster also translate into social audio. And so can you become someone that records social audio or live stream social audio for individuals or companies that want that to happen, but don't want to learn the tech? They don't want to do it. As podcasters, we already know this. You're doing StreamYard right now. This thing that you're doing right now for your show, interviewing people like me, you could do uh, Twitter spaces and Clubhouse recordings and live stream it using StreamYard out to, you know, LinkedIn, to, you know, Twitter, to Facebook, to YouTube, to, you know, insert dot, 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 right? And that's a service that companies or entrepreneurs or individuals or business professionals will pay you for because they want to get out there, but they don't want to learn the tech. They just want to get their mission and their message out there. That is 
quite a lot with the social channels being so heavily integrated into one another nowadays. So this brings me to my last one. That's a bit one of the traditional social channels and that's newsletters. Are they overrated or underrated? I've never been a newsletter person. I can tell you that. I know that everybody has always said, you've got to have your list. And I've, I've done newsletters for clients you know, on projects. But for me, I've never really done them up until recently because Twitter bought review and review is built into Twitter. And so now if you go to my profile on Twitter, it's twitter.com forward slash epodcaster, you'll see that on the very first thing on my profile, the very as you scroll down, before you see a single tweet, is my newsletter because it, review is integrated in there. So I have, as of last month, started to do a newsletter that comes out on the 20th of every month, which is tomorrow, right? I guess I should work on it. It's coming out this tomorrow. This is so awesome. Could... This is so awesome. Of course, the people that are doing audio won't be able to see this, but we're going we're gonna to pop it up on screen for, for those of you who are, who are actually watching because I do think this is really, really awesome. I didn't know about this. So this is... This is so much fun. Let me quickly see if I can, can pop it up. So if you go to, if you go to Jennifer's Twitter, you can actually hear, you can hear subscribe. This is, this is pretty awesome. Okay. But it's going to my, huh, this is going to my Yahoo address. I guess I have to update my Twitter first before I, before I subscribe. But this is, this is pretty, pretty cool. I, I, I saw it. Like the first time I was on your Twitter profile and I wasn't clear how that was popping up there, but now, now I finally understand. So that's, that's right. interesting. That's really interesting. So it's desktop only. So you go to your desktop, go to the sidebar and one of the options is going to be newsletter and it's going to tell you, you know, review and, and you just connect it and make it, they have templates. It's super easy. You can integrate tweets in there. I mean, it's very low lift. And because you already have it, you're active on Twitter and because you have an audience and because, you know, it makes it really easy. And I actually know someone, Madeline Sklar, who does the Twitter Smarter uh, chat every Thursday. She said that she's been on MailChimp for years, like a really, really long time, and that they decided to beta test the, the review on Twitter. And her team said it's easier, it's more affordable. But I think at this point it's free, and I, I think eventually it might be something paid, but for now it's free, and she's paying for MailChimp. And that the opens were more than what MailChimp was getting. So she's actually, the last I heard that they were making plans to transition everybody over to review. That's interesting. I saw it then. I'm, I'm going to look into it. Thanks for sharing that. This is, this is, this is a good one. Yeah. So, so Twitter one points there. I mean, for all the times that Twitter has gotten hurt by other platforms, like with Periscope, with Five, like how other, are other platforms really destroyed them, I guess. This is finally win for Twitter then. I really yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So final over under, I can't help myself. I have to ask this over under question. Hive, the Hive blockchain. Man, the opportunity there is huge. I'm telling you folks, if you're sleeping on Hive, if you're sleeping on content creation on the blockchain period, let alone Hive, right? That's a specific blockchain to create content on. In general, if you're sleeping on creating content on the blockchain, you are going to miss a huge opportunity to get in early. It's a little bit of heavy lifting to get in now. It's not easy. It's not like, you know, on Twitter, you can like create an account, super easy, but it's, it's a little bit more of a heavy lift. But once you get into the ecosystem, 
it's an amazing opportunity. And so the way that I look at it is that it goes back to, I saw this this meme and I, I just think it's so perfect for this. So web 1.0, right? The early days of the web, it was big companies making money. So big companies making money, big companies earning, a big, com- big companies making content, big companies making money. Okay, I remember AOL. I remember the, back in those days, right? Okay, I get it. And then we think about web 2.0, which is the space that we're in now, right? So users create the content, big companies make money. So we're creating content on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, on all these places. But who's really making the money are those the platforms, right? And, and of course, they're providing us a platform. We can make money if we build up an audience, if we create good content, we can make connections. Yes, you still can make money. But from the actual content, from each individual tweet, each individual post, each individual video, the brand, the company is making the money. Now we go to Web 3.0. And Web 3.0 is that users make the money. Users create the content, users make the money. And that's kind of what the blockchain is. Content creation on the blockchain is the opportunity to make money from your very first post. And the fact that earning potential is built into the framework. So on my Twitter account, my Twitter profile, something else that you'll see is a little icon that has a dollar sign on it. It looks like folded money. That means I have tip jar enabled on my Twitter account. When you click on that, you'll see that you can send, you can send me some Satoshis you can, my Bitcoin wallet is there. You can send me Bitcoin. My PayPal link is there. My Venmo link is there, right? So I have the opportunity for people to say, hey, Jennifer, you're really helpful. You gave me some really good information. You helped me with this. I'm going to send you a tip. However, it's not built into the framework. First of all, somebody has to know it exists. They have to be on mobile. It's not desktop. They have to take the time to go to my profile, see that tiny little icon with the little dollar on there, click on it, and then they're bombarded with Oh, should I stream some sats to her? Oh, should I send her money on Bitcoin? You know, oh, should I send, go Venmo or PayPal? And so typically people don't. But however, if you look at Web 3.0, creating content on the blockchain, the ability to earn is built into the framework. When you like something or upvote it, there's an earning potential there. When you sh- reblog something or share content, there's earning potential there. When you create original content yourself, there's earning potential there. There's earning potential in every aspect of everything you do, and it's built in the framework. So it's frictionless. It's so low barrier. There's no barrier to entry. Well, the barrier is getting onto the blockchain and understanding it. Once you're there, it's really easy. And so I'll give an example. When I was beta testing this back in July, I was baking a lot of bread at the time. So I did a bed, a bread baking post on Dbuzz, and I did a bread baking post on Twitter and Instagram. Same picture, a little bit different message, suited to the audience. And on Twitter, who where I have over 5,000 followers, I got three likes. I was like, okay, cool. Maybe not everybody's into bread. Fine. And at the time on Hive, I had 11 followers. And those 11 followers upvoted my bread post and, and earned 88 cents or, you know, 0.88. Now, granted, you don't earn all of that because you split it between your, yourself as the author and their curators. But it's just built in. It's, it's amazing. If you're sleeping on content creation on the blockchain, please don't. And if you're looking for some content on that, I started a show with a co-host, Shane Matha, in July called The Crypto Content Creators to explore this because I feel like based on my history of looking at podcasting and looking at all these different trends and where things are going, Web 3.0 and creating content on the blockchain are going to be pretty soon, like I said, the knitters, the knitting convention is going to have a post about how to how to do uh, you know hive or blockchain creation for knitters, and we should absolutely be there building the framework, having an understanding of it, so that we can teach it to others, so that we can make make the onboarding process easier for them. And that's kind of what I'm doing for uh, National Podcast Post Month is a, something I created 14 years ago 
It's an opportunity, 30 podcast episodes in 30 days. It's a community challenge. I'm taking it to Hive, to the blockchain for the first time ever. And the biggest challenge is how do I get all these podcasters who participated in with me during National Podcast Post Month for the last 13 years, now for year 14, get them to join me on the blockchain so that they can get a real sense of why they should be paying attention over here. And it's not easy, but I aim to try. And that's really why I'm in a cabin right now is because I, I decided to go away for a few days and just hone in on what that is because I feel so strongly about what an impact this is going to make for the average user, for you and me to really participate in this Web 3.0 economy. I think for a lot of people, you spoke a lot of Klingon there, but we understand <laughs> it. <laughs> Yeah, but I think this is a great promo for for next week for the social media conference as well. Because Wait, before exactly I hand it over to you, I do want to say oh, one thing. I think that high onboarding process is a very important data point and sign that we are still very, very kind of prehistorically early in this space. And as you said, you have experience in recognizing these trends and being able to identify it. So if there's a hurdle, see it as a sign to look into it more because then you'll be an early adopter and the early adopters are usually the people who actually five, 10 years from now benefit from that early growth, early experience, early exposure. And I think Jennifer nailed it in that last segment on how she explained Web 1 to Web 3. So thank you for that, Jennifer. And yeah, Sean, look. Yeah, I, I quickly want to jump in because Stefan is saying like, I think it should be a part two maybe. Yeah, of course, there's going to be a part two. But it, the part two of this is actually going to be next week at the social media conference in Inama because Jennifer will be talking about social media and the blockchain specifically. So I think, I think, that's that's already the way you explain it. And I think for me, the difficult part about the onboard, because the onboarding process four years ago was, you have no idea how much more difficult it was before things like Hive on board and those things existed. So where that was really beta beta. But I think one of the main things that is really difficult is like telling people's like, you can't lose your keys. Like. That's something for, for, for like on a normal social media platform, it's just like, oh, I lost my password. I'll just reset my password to my email address and I'm done. And when people lose their keys on, on the blockchain, it's bye-bye. We say in Dutch, bye-bye, swai-swai. It's like, it's gone. Like you lose all your NFTs, you lose everything. If you can log in, basically you lo you've lost access and there's no big brother that you can go to like, hey, I lost my keys. Can you fix this for me? So I think it's really, really cool. And also Jeff is shouting out here and he's saying, I'm learning a lot here. So thank you, Jennifer. So awesome. we have to go to the, to the final, of course, the, 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 the high shout outs. And for those of you who don't know, Fausto is basically the godfather of Hive in, in Suriname. He never takes credit for it, but he's the one who has really been the one to identify like why this platform is, is so important. So heading off to the last part, and we already crossed the hour mark, so we're not going too extensive, but we do quickly want to talk about the National Podcast Posting Month. Am I saying correctly? National Podcasting Posting Month. So can you tell us a little bit about the National Podcasting Posting Month 
podcast posting month and what it actually entails and, and how people can, like us, Diego and myself, can actually participate. Sure. In 2007, I heard about National Novel Writers Month, which is called NaNoWriMo. And authors write 50,000 words in the month of November. And I was like, hey, that's pretty cool. I don't want to write 50,000 words, but, you know, more power to you. And then I heard about the bloggers were doing Nat Blow Pomo, National Blog Post Month. And I'm like, I kind of get that. As a podcaster, you create show notes. In essence, you're writing a blog post. Okay, I, I get that. And then I heard about the vloggers. At the time, they were called vloggers, V-L-O-G-G-E-R. And it was called National Nat Blow Pomo, National Blog Post Month. And I was like, holy cow. The video folks are going to make a video every day in the month of November. I'm like, all right, I'm sold. I'm going to go join the one for podcasting. And I went and looked and it didn't exist. And I was like, this is a tra travesty. There's no way. And so three days before November 1st in 2007, I launched NAPOD Pomo, National Podcast Post Month, to go in line with this. And it's been going on ever since. I had no idea if anybody would join me. So it was 30 podcast episodes in 30 days. How you do it is up to you. Some folks do it, you know, every single day. Some folks batch record over the weekend. Some folks record in advance. Matter of fact, I was a guest on a show two weeks ago that he's recording all of his episodes um, now and will release them daily in November. There's no real hard, fast rules except for one. And that is that at on November 30th at 1159 and whatever your time zone is, as long as it's that, that you have 30 episodes. If you have 30 episodes at that time, you have won the challenge and you get to one of the, we have this I did it badge that you can put on your blog or on your podcast page showing that you participated in the challenge and that you completed the actual challenge. And what it is, is I like to think of it as a fail fast, get good opportunity. Remember I shared earlier that my show won, I was so proud of it, but <laughs> it actually wasn't that great. And, and because I didn't know what I was doing, I was doing it for the first time. And anytime we try something new, it's going to be a little rough and tumble. Well, for folks that are new to podcasting where you're like, I kind of, Jennifer, you, you guys have kind of got me going. I think I want to do this, but I'm not sure. I'm still a little hesitant. Remember I talked about a soft launch? This is a great opportunity for you to kind of muck around in a safe community space because you're going to have folks like me who use NatPod Pomo, even though I've got lots of years of experience as an opportunity to try something new and to experiment and to muck around and maybe fail and maybe go, oh, here's how I can make it better. So there's a lot of us going in there and really taking the time to kind of just play in the podcasting space to learn, be part of that learn, share, grow, and we're there to support one another. So week one, typically everybody's super energetic and they're like, this is amazing. I love this. I'm so glad we're doing this. Week two, between week two and week three, people are like, I'm insane. Why would I do this? Why am I doing this to myself? I can't believe I'm doing this. But then by the time week four comes around, you, you're re-energized again and you're already missing it, even though you're still doing it because you realize that you can see the end in sight and you realize that all the friends that you've made and all the, the experience that you've had, that it's going to come to an end on November 30th. And it's just a wonderful experience. If you've never done it, I recommend you give it a try. It's very flexible, very fluid, and you've got a community to support you. And here's the kicker. I mentioned this. Now, NAPOD POMO is going to the blockchain for the first time ever. And we have a community on Hive that I just launched like last week. <laughs> and I'm still trying to figure out how do you do a community? Oh, you need to do this and all that. So I'm learning. I'm using this as my opportunity to learn. 
And now I'm like, okay, I need to go to three speak and I need to put my podcast on three speak. <laughs> so you're going to see me mucking around learning something new, this SnapPod Pomo. And I'm hoping to bring podcasters who participated before there, but I'm also hoping that folks that are on Hive that are well-versed in that space will want to come in and and uh, and play in the podcasting space with me. So yeah, SnapPod Pomo, Felfast Get Good in 30 days. Exciting. I, I'll need to sleep on that. <laughs> But, but, but 30 days, Sean uh, Luke has done a lot of 30 day challenges in the past and from different things, from habits to posting on Instagram. Like I said, I think I've completed, fully completed two challenges, 30 day challenges. One was actually a result of Gary Vaynerchuk challenging somebody for 30 days and saying, I'm going to watch your profile for 30 days. And wow. that kind of, that's how the 30 day challenge came to existence. Also the 30 day challenge Suriname, which is happened in 2017, I think I want to say 2017 or 2018, we did it. And that was posting a video every day. So that was a big challenge. That was kind of the national flogging challenge. And that, that really was tough on us, but I did finish that one. And afterwards I also finished one, which had like more. Uh, to, to get a certain routine in. So for instance, not drinking any beverages that contain any carbonation or any sugar for a month or reading a book every day for a month or going to bed before midnight every day for a month, which is for me extremely hard. But there, that's kind of, there are different ways, but I think for me, the content one, and I do want some advice on, on resources because I think it's really hard to do a challenge like this in combination with something else. You really have to free up your schedule and say like, this is the only thing that matters for this month, because otherwise I feel you're not going to be able to complete it, but maybe you can give us some tips, like how to, th this is a funny thing. I, I'm quickly going to give a little bit of an insight because we were both in the hive chat today. And the question was asked if you're a planner or a pantser. And I was like, this. I think you actually said this pantser will work. Because it's basically saying like, okay, I'm just going to do this. I have a general idea what I'm going to do and I'm just going to pants it. The other one is of course, being more systematic, being more of a planner. So what, what ways can somebody prepare for a 30 day challenge, whether it's this kind of challenge where you, you put out content? So it does help to have a plan. And and the pantser thing did throw me for the loop. I'd never heard that before, but it it means someone who flies by the seat of their pants. And I'm like, oh, pff, that could totally be my middle name. That's everything that I've ever done has been flying by the seat of my pants. I did not know I'd be doing this as a career. I just, you know, all those years ago, but now it is because I was like, Ooh, what's that? Let's try that thing called podcasting. And now here I am doing it for a living. So yeah, fly by the seat of my pants. Yeah, me. But I think it helps to have at least a framework. And the way I like to look at something like any 30-day challenge, whether you're doing vlogging, video, podcasting, anything, is to think of it like a book. And it starts with a once upon a time, and then it, and it, it completes with a the end or to be continued. But in the middle are all the chapters that tell the story. And think of each of those, those chapters as maybe a bullet point for you to, to either write about or speak about so that you can say, okay, this story goes from here to here, and there's all these pieces in the middle. And how do I take my audience, my viewers, my listeners, my readers, how do I take them on that journey? How do I experience that journey for myself? Because when you're doing a challenge, you're stretching yourself, you're stretching, you're growing, you're trying to figure stuff out, you're stumbling. And that's the point of a challenge, right? If it wasn't a challenge, it would be called an easy. 
An easy is something you don't have to think about at all. That takes no effort at all. A challenge means you're you're building some muscle, whether it's you know physical muscle or whether it's mental muscle or talent muscle. You're building it. So there's going to be a little rough and tumble. You may have sore muscles. You may stretch yourself and and get tired doing it. But I would say that giving yourself permission to to go ahead and and go into a challenge is really important. Knowing that it's not going to be perfect that it's not going to be, you know, smooth, that you're going to stumble, that you're going to want to quit, that you're going to hit a wall. Know that going in, because then when it, when you come across that wall and you stumble, you can go, ah, you know, that's okay. I don't have time to sit here and be uh, upset about the fact that this blog post, this episode, this video, this whatever it is, isn't great. It was okay. Maybe I just phoned it in. I just did it to cross it off the list, but maybe tomorrow's is going to be amazing. There's no time for you to sit here and be sad or mad about how well or how well you did not do because tomorrow is another day and tomorrow means you get to do it again. And then the day after that means you get to do it again. And the doing and doing and doing and doing is what improves your skill set, improves your knowledge, it builds your muscle. And that's why I think a 30-day challenge is a really great way to figure out whether something is for you. Before you buy equipment, I'll tell you right now, before you spend a dime on podcast equipment, before you build out your studio, before you do anything, do a challenge. Do a challenge because you may decide that, mm, I really don't like podcasting. You may think you you may want to do it, but all of a sudden you go through the effort just using your mobile phone with an app and you, you realize, this isn't for me. Now imagine going through that, but having spent money on equipment. And now you're like, I really don't like this. And now I have all this equipment that I spent money on. So I recommend a challenge for many reasons, but most, first of all, really just to grow. Yeah, it's for growing and at the other end of the spectrum, some self-validation, like, is this actually for you? Stick or not? Uh, I think that's some great advice. Comes back to the Atomic Habits by James Clear that I often mention when it comes to building habits. But with that being said, Jennifer, thank you. We've been over it for a bit over an hour. And to close it off, where can people re best reach out to you? I assume it's Twitter at ePodcaster, but yeah, where can people find you, look you up, listen to your podcast, et cetera? Yeah, so if you want to do that, it's uh, ePodcaster is going to be really easy. Uh, my, my name, jennifernavarete.com, but most folks don't know how to spell that. Or even if you want to listen to the Crypto Content Creator Show, it's cryptocontentcreators.com. If you're interested in the, the NatPod Pomo Challenge, it's natpodpomo.org. But I'd say if you just go to Twitter and look up ePodcaster, that is like the starting point for you to go deeper. Got it. Thank you. And for everyone who's tuning in, thanks again for sharing your comments. Uh, today, Facebook was especially, mostly Facebook actually today for tuning in. And as always, Shanluk, last words about the conference next week, because you, you mentioned Jennifer's going to be there again, and then close it off. Yeah. So for those who are, if you are interested, of course, you can go to socialmedia.sr to find out more about the social media conference. Jennifer is also a speaker over there. And while Diego changes his lighting, we're going to close off Social Confluence for this week. We want to thank you all for tuning in. We want to thank you, Jennifer, for this very, very insightful session. And I also feel like we are, you see, we, we, we need to give you something for this. So we're going to send you a gift. We have to decide what kind of gift it will be, Diego. But we're going to send you a big thank you as well. And since it's your talk about crypto, we're going to send you a crypto gift for all the <laughs> lessons that you've given to us today. Um, 
We really want to thank you for being here. Again, we want to thank all the listeners and the people that joined in. If you're listening to this audio on the audio version of this podcast, thank you for tuning in as well. And as always, this was Social Convos. See you again next week, same place, same time. Bye-bye.